0: Well, I haven't always done this. When I was growing up, I worked a few different jobs. And one of the jobs that I had was a telemarketer. Now, if you've only had a phone for the last 10 years, you may be surprised to find out that once upon a time, uh, there were phones that were mounted on people's walls in their homes, and what's even more surprising is people actually were excited when the phone would ring. I know a lot of people today don't even want to have a phone call. Uh, you'd much rather text than, than talk to anybody, but there was a time, once upon a time, even when I was growing up, where the phone would ring, and there would be some enthusiasm and excitement that somebody wanted to talk to you, and there could be somebody on the other end. Well, companies figured this out, and then they ruined it, because they would call people and offer them Products that they had no desire to buy and try to sell them things that they really didn't want. And I jumped on the train right as telemarketing was, was coming to really a head as, as there was legislation being passed all over the place and the do not call list and everything else. But some telemarketing companies sold magazines. Other telemarketing companies sold timeshares. I was selling mortgages. Now, I was 18 years old, and I knew nothing, nothing about mortgages. But I knew how to sell. So it didn't really matter. And they would just give us a list, and we would call the list and tell people we could save them money, which is just fascinating because I had no idea what interest rate they were paying, how much principal they had, anything along those lines. I had no idea. I was just following the script. And I remember after the first week, in and, and, You only worked four-hour shifts. You only worked four-hour shifts because you would be told no constantly. You would be called everything. Uh, You name it, you would be called everything. One of the things I really miss about the cell phone is, and and this would happen some as, as a telemarketer, it used to be when you were in an argument with somebody on a phone call, you could let them know at the end of the conversation if it was not over but you could slam that phone down and they would hear it on the other end now you just have to hit end and then i mean it might just be you dropped reception the person doesn't really know but it used to if you slam that th- not that i did that that often uh, or had that done that often to me but sometimes that would happen so there were a lot of breaks and after my first week of of working there I only, I only sold two, well I didn't really, I couldn't close them because I wasn't licensed, but I would get everything done in the process and then send them to a loan officer who could close it. So I, I, I did two. And then the second week I only did 10. And it was the start of the third week and I got called in the manager's office and I just knew as I'm going to the manager's office right at the start of the week, I'm getting fired. If I, if I would have had anything at the call center, I sat in a little cubicle, I'd have had a cardboard box just ready with me when I went into the manager's office. And I'm like, I'm getting fired. They called me in and they said, Brian, how many did you close last week? And I said, well, 10, but I'm pretty sure I could have done 16. And if I would have done this a little bit differently, and I could have done that a little bit differently, and if this would have gone this way, and they just stopped me. And they said, you did 10. That was the best week out of anybody that we had. And I'm like, I I thought I was getting fired. And And they said, we want you to work from this office from here on out. Like, I, I didn't have to work in a cubicle anymore. They gave me an office because I got 10 done in the week. And out of, out of the hundreds, probably thousands of calls that I made, I got 10 and I thought I was getting fired. And they were ecstatic with the performance. They gave me an office. Like, I wasn't used to that because that's a lot of failure. And then oftentimes in life, when you deal with failure on a large scale, it's not a good thing. I tried to take that percentage to my parents with some of the test scores that I got in some classes. And they're like, it doesn't work that way in the real world. And normally it doesn't, but in terms of telemarketing, it did. In terms of, in terms of baseball, Hall of Fame players, the best of the best hitters, if they get a hit, three out of every ten at-bats, Three. Out of every 10 at-bats, they are the best of the best. And today we're going to see where this is true in the spiritual realm as well. If you have your phones or your tablets, I'd invite you to follow along with us in the Bible app today. It's a free resource that you can download in the app store of your choosing. And once it's downloaded and installed on your device, either enable your locations or type in zip code 54201 their Lakeside Community Church will pop up and you can follow along with us. If you have a traditional Bible with you today, we're going to be in the New Testament book of Matthew. Matthew is a gospel of the life of Jesus. Matthew chapter 13, we're going to start in verse 3 as we continue our look at Storyteller, our look at the parables that Jesus taught. I want to thank John Cross and Derek Flowers for covering for me the last couple weeks as I was away on vacation. It was great to get away for a couple weeks with the family. It's even better to be back with each and every one of you uh, just love being part of Lakeside. But thanks to John and Derek for for covering and getting us started on this. And John, a couple weeks ago, he talked about a portion of Matthew 13. And we're going to talk about the portion around what John talked about a couple weeks ago as we talk about another parable, the parable of the sower, from Matthew chapter 13, starting in verse 3 this morning, where we read these words. And he, Jesus, told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And Jesus told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. Now, why is that important? Well, that's be- it's important because that's what sowers do. They go out and they sow seed. It's, it's what sowers do. Jesus spent a lot of time in ministry around farming communities He spent a lot of time in ministry and in agrarian society, and so a lot of the stories and examples that Jesus would use, he wanted to make relatable to people in their everyday circumstances and environments. So he talks a lot about farming, he talks a lot of the principles that that you will see throughout the parables and the stories and examples that Jesus utilized. They were examples and stories that people could relate to. And here he's giving us an example of this. And he says a sower is out and he's sowing. It's what sowers do. And the reason that this is important is because this isn't a rookie. This isn't somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. This is a seasoned farmer. This is a seasoned sower going out and they're sowing seed. It's what they do. They know what they're doing. They're experienced. And Jesus continues from there. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path. And the birds came and devoured them. So some of the seed gets on the path. The sower's out there. It's his job to sow the seed. He's sowing the seed. Some of that seed, it lands on the path. And the birds swoop down, and they came, and they, eat, they ate all of the seed. They devoured all of the seed. And some of you are like, oh, what a beautiful scene that is. You have birdhouses. You have bird feeders out in your yard. You love it. A couple weeks ago, my kids were like, Dad, Dad, come here. Look up in this tree, right right by our porch. There, there's a tree, and they're like, "Look, there's a nest right there." And all I'm thinking is my kids are showing me this nest that they're excited about is how quickly I can get rid of the poop factory because that's all that a bird's nest is. And I know some of you love to, to love to look at the birds fly and you, you love to watch them as they, they rest in their, their nests. And I would just say to you, there's this thing called YouTube. And you can put in the search bar whatever birds you want to see. And then you can watch incredible video of it and not have to feed them or worry about cleanup. So just something to consider. I'm not bird guy. I get it. So it might be different. That's fine. But but our kids were really excited about this bird's nest a couple of weeks ago. I was out just praying around the praying around the land here at Lakeside. And I was out by the pond. And, and I'm just minding my own business, praying for the church, praying for people. And a, a this bird comes swooping down at me. It's, it's one of those blackbirds with the with the red the red wings. And it, it just starts swooping down at me. And then I walk a little bit over, and another one comes swooping down at me. And I'm like, no, no. So I went down to the pond, and I took a couple pieces of gravel. And then I walk back, and the bird's swooping down, and I start chucking gravel at it. And people driving by had to think I'm certifiably insane, and I'll let you draw your own conclusions. But I'm just like, it's war between me and a red-winged blackbird. I don't really, like, I'm, I'm not all about I'm not all about the the birds. It's just me. And if I'm running an enterprise, if I'm running an enterprise, the last thing I'm wanting my product to go do is to fund a meal for a bird. But a sower who knows what they're doing is out sowing seed, and some of that seed falls on a path, and the birds swoop down, and they eat it. And that's not all. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. Now the first seed is eaten by the birds. And now we're told the second category of seed, it goes, it makes its way into the soil and there's a crop that's produced. And this, this is visible results. This is seemingly what you want. As a farmer, this is what you want. You aren't really interested in making sure that the birds have all they want to eat. What you were worried about is the crop that's going to be produced. And seemingly, especially considering what happened to the first category of seed, that the birds come and they eat it all. Now this category, there, there is produce. There's results. This is a good thing. They're visible. Seemingly. But Jesus continues. But when the sun rose... They were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. As soon as adversity comes, as soon as adversity comes, the plant, it sprung up. But as soon as adversity comes, as soon as, as, soon as the sun comes out and it burns it, the plant is dead, and the reason that it's dead is because it had no depth. It had no root system in order to survive. And so the first sign of adversity comes, and what seemingly at one point in time was so promising, it is revealed that there is a problem. Last summer, I decided I, I wanted to have some more plants. I, I have a Meyer lemon tree. I've had it for 10 years. It produces lemons. It's, it's great, so i got to grow light for it because we don't really live in the climate where lemon trees thrive Uh, but I decided all right I'm having some good results with the lemon tree I'm gonna branch out a little bit and try my hand at some other trees so I ordered a lime tree and I ordered an orange tree and I ordered a banana tree and I got them all shipped in got them last summer had them out last summer it was great Fall comes around, put them in my basement with a glow light on, uh, 24-7. So if you drive by, it looks like I'm growing weed or something. I don't know, but it's just plants, I promise. And uh, so I had them all going all winter, and then spring comes, and I move all the plants back outside because I kept them alive under a grow light all winter, but they do a lot better when they're outside getting real sunlight. And, and everything else, so I move all the plants back, and the first thunderstorm comes through, and I go out, and my banana tree is on the ground. It completely snapped off, and I just left it in the, the left what was left of it in the pot, thinking, all right, maybe the maybe the plant will produce another stem or or branch or trunk. I don't even know what it's called, maybe a sign I shouldn't have it, uh, but I'm like maybe maybe it'll produce uh, another one of those and so i gave it a month and it didn't and when i dug out the roots by dug i mean i went like this and they just pulled out because they were completely rotten they didn't have a good structure they were dead and the first sign of adversity that came the first storm that came through snapped the banana tree because it was dead That's what's going on here. There is no root system. There is no no life. And the first sign that adversity comes, it completely wipes it out. Jesus continues in verse 7. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. These seeds aren't able to produce aren't able to produce and the reason that they're not able to produce is because there's no room for them the weeds overtake all their space and the weeds make it so they can't function as they should function and then we get to another category and other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain some a hundredfold some 60 some 30 He who has ears, let him hear. So we finally arrive at the results that the farmer, the sower, wanted. These are the results that the sower wanted. The sower is not in business to keep the birds alive. The sower is not in business to have a bunch of plants sprout up, but ultimately don't produce anything because there is no real depth which produces the ability for it to be alive. He does not want all of the, the weeds to choke out growth. This is the result that the farmer wants. Hundredfold, sixtyfold, thirtyfold. This is how the farmer is able to stay in business. That is a good thing if you're the farmer. We finally see the results that the farmer wants. And now Jesus is going to explain the spiritual principles behind this story. So in order to do that, we fast forward down to verse 18 where we read these words. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. And so right off the bat, Right off the bat, Jesus tells us that first group where the seed lands on the path and the birds swoop down, the birds, the birds are adversarial. They're adversarial to the desire of the farmer. And that is like the enemy who comes and makes it so people don't understand. This is why one of our goals at Lakeside is everything we do, Everything we do, everything we present is to do so in a way that, is as un- that we can make it as, as relatable and as easy to understand as possible. That doesn't mean that we're going to shy away from deep spiritual truths. It doesn't mean that we're going to water everything down, but it does mean our obligation and our responsibility is to explain things as simply as we possibly can because we recognize that in terms of our spiritual growth and development there are spiritual principles that are difficult enough to understand that we don't have to put we don't have to put more more difficult vocabulary on top of it that we need to make things as easy to understand as we possibly can. And Jesus, fascinatingly here, pulls back the curtain for us just a little bit. He doesn't give us the full backstage glimpse, but he pulls back the curtain enough for us just a little bit for us to see that the, what's going on in the unseen spiritual realm that there is an unseen spiritual realm that we don't focus on as often as we could because it isn't seen, so somewhat out of sight, out of mind. But Jesus pulls back the curtain here and he lets us know there is a very real adversary that stands between us and God. And God's desire is for all of us to experience the most fulfilling life that we could possibly experience. And the way to do that is for us to have our relationship with God because that's why we were ultimately created We were ultimately created to have a relationship with our Creator, to worship and honor and praise Him. That is the ultimate reason we were created. But all of us have rebelled against the standards that God has put in place. Every single one of us. The enemy, he also rebelled against the standards that God put in place. He rebelled against the fact that he was made to worship God, and he said, you know what, God, I want to do things my own way. I want to do things my way instead of your way. And Jesus pulls back the curtain for us here. And he lets us see in the unseen realm that there is a very real adversary whose goal it is is to do everything that he possibly can to prevent us from experiencing the life that God would have us experience. That he opposes God. And because God's desire is for every person to follow him, he is in direct opposition to that. And what's fascinating is the enemy comes, and when God offers us a life of joy and fulfillment and peace, and that is God's offer to us, the enemy comes and he says, I can do better. Following God is so restrictive. Following God is so boring. Following God isn't going to give you ultimately what you want. But you know what my desire for your life is? My desire for your life is for you to do whatever you want. You don't have to worry about living up to somebody else's standard. You don't have to worry about living up to somebody else's decrees or commands. Do whatever you want. Do whatever makes you feel good. And the messaging never changes. And we've all fallen for the messaging. Every single one of us has fallen for that message. And the messaging never changes, and sadly, neither does the result. Because every single time we pursue that messaging, and we all have, what promises fulfillment delivers just the opposite. What promises joy and peace delivers anything but. And we ultimately do not experience what is promised to us. And and we've been told, but this this will lead you to a place that makes you so happy. This will lead you to a place that fills you. This will lead you to a place that brings you so much joy. And it never, ever does. But the messaging never changes, and we still fall for the messaging. And Jesus pulls back the curtain here, and he says, this is what's going on. There's a very real battle that's going on that you do not see in the unseen realm that's going on between God and his adversary, the enemy. And the enemy's desire is that you would not follow after God and you would not experience what God would have you experience. This is the unseen struggle. And that's what's being represented with the seed that falls on the path and the birds come and they eat it and they fly away. So next time you want to put up a birdhouse, or next time you have a bird feeder, or marvel at that little nest, just remember Jesus said it's Satan, okay? Just telling you. (laughs) Jesus goes on in verse 20, as for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word. And immediately receives it with joy. So we contrast, we contrast the messaging that's fallen on the path, and the birds swoop down and they eat it. And now we contrast this with the person that's really excited. They're excited about the idea of following after Jesus. This is the person that, that recognizes they need forgiveness. This is the person that recognizes that they can't do it on their own. This is the person that, that's exposed to the hope that is available only through a relationship with Jesus and is excited about that hope. They're excited about the, the prospect of following after God. They're excited about what God offers. Yet he has no root in himself. But endures for a while, and when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is the person that that signs up and says, God, I want to follow you. God, I need to experience your forgiveness. God, I need to experience your grace. I'm all in. God, I'm all about following you. And then the first time, the first time God disappoints them, they're out. This is the person that that thinks following God is a transactional relationship. And the reason that they're disgruntled is because they think they've signed up for something that God never promised. They think following after God is going to give them this... this Access to God where God will do this and God will bless them in this way and and God will give them whatever they ask for and God will give them what they want and as long as God will give them what they pray for, as long as God will give them the desires of their heart, they are all in. But the first time, the first time God fails to deliver on a promise that God never made but they think God has made, they're out. They're out. And they don't Stand the test of time. As soon as difficulty arrives, they're gone. And this is is what's so disheartening, is I've baptized these people. Because they will tell you, I've made the decision to follow Jesus. And there is no litmus test for baptism. It's just whether or not you're a follower of Jesus. And as long as you're a follower of Jesus, then we want you to take that next step, and we want to baptize you. And we're excited about that. What we're told is that our fruit reveals whether or not it's authentic. That the fruit of our lives, that every person that follows Jesus will produce fruit. There are some who've been exposed to the hope and promise of Jesus. And they're excited about that prospect, but they think they've entered into an agreement that God has never offered. And as soon as God doesn't give them what they want, as soon as life looks different than how they envisioned it, they're out. And the reason that they're out is because there was no root. It was never authentic. It was never real. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. These are the people that want to follow God. They want to follow God. But they also recognize that following God means there's going to be a trade-off. And I want to follow God, but I want to be popular more. I want to follow God, but I want to pursue my passions. I want to follow God, but my career's more important. I want to follow God, but, and God is never able to be the most important thing in their lives. That the idea of God is great. It's just there's always an idea that's better. And so they're never able to cross that threshold. There's always something else, always something better in their minds it's not that they're opposed to faith it's not that they're angry at god it's just that they're not willing to make god the priority that he demands to be they're not willing to put god first and foremost in their lives jesus says the weeds come and they choke it out doesn't mean they're bad people. It just means that God isn't in the place of preeminence that God requires to be. And then we get to the final category. As for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another, 30. This is the result that, that the farmer wants. This is ultimately what the farmer wants. And we can't get around the fact that if we legitimately follow Jesus, our lives will bear fruit. And, and Jesus says, for some it's a hundredfold. For some it's 60-fold. For some it's 30-fold. But notice, the farmer is excited about the results and the results are that there is fruit that is bared. That the seed is doing what the seed should. This is how the farmer stays in business. And so when the crop's a hundredfold, that's a great season. The farmer's excited about that. When the crop's 60-fold, that's crop for the farmer that he can sell. When the crop's 30-fold, the farmer's making money. Everything's working. And yet, this can be the problem in our lives as we live in comparison culture. And if if we're the farmer, if we're the business, and, and we're planting seed, and our crop presents 30-fold, that, that's, that's a good margin. We can survive on that. It's a good markup. Make a comfortable living. All right. And yet the problem of comparison culture is, oh, but now I see my neighbor. And my crop was 30-fold, but their crop 60-fold. And this is where discontentment comes in. And I would have been satisfied with 30, because I can live on that. That's good produce. It's not like all my seed went on the path. It's not like all my seed didn't have the roots that it needed to have, that it was burned up. Not like the, the thorns and the weeds won. No, I had a good crop. It was, it was 30, but my neighbor, huh, they have 60. And instead of being excited about what God's doing in our lives, instead of being excited about the crop that we see here, All of our attention and all of our focus is now in a comparison culture to what our neighbor has. And our 30 isn't as much as 60. In fact, they have twice as much as we do. And we lose all our joy because we're transfixed on what they have. And we lose our minds. We absolutely lose our minds when we find out their neighbor has a crop of a hundredfold. We lose it. This is why comparison is so dangerous. As followers of Jesus, your life is going to produce fruit. Your life has to produce fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what I want you to do as you follow Jesus is not be worried about your neighbor and how God's working and moving in their life, but to focus on yourself. Focus on what God's doing in your life. Focus on how God's working in and through you. Stop the game of comparing. Just focus on what God has done in you. What's fascinating here is that there are different results. And notice who's responsible for the results. That's not the farmer. The farmer is responsible to sow seed. A sower sowed seed. Now some of that seed fell on the path. Not because he's an idiot sower. It's just where the seed went. Some of the seed fell on soil that produced, it produced a result for a minute, but ultimately not a real result. It's not the farmer's fault. Some of it was amongst weeds. And the temptation for us is to think, well, get out there with some Roundup. But then you do that, and then you're like, well, it just killed the ground and everything in it because I sprayed some Roundup. You're going to drive yourself crazy if you start to do this. It's not his responsibility. And some of it produced a harvest of a hundredfold, and some of it was 60-fold, and some of it was 30-fold. You're not responsible for the results. You're responsible to be faithful and leave the results up to God. And this is why the comparison game is, so, is just so detrimental. Because at best, it makes you bitter towards your neighbor. At worst, it makes you bitter towards God. So what do we do with this corporately? As a church, we talked about individually. Well, what do do we do we do with this as a church? Well, simply this, we sow more seed. We sow more seed. Our job is just to keep chucking seed everywhere we can. And we don't know what kind of soil that seed's going to land on. And the beautiful thing is, we don't have to worry about it. The results aren't up to us. They're up to God. We're free and we're responsible just to sow more seed. That's true of us as a church. That's true of us as individuals. Because there's only one of four soils that ultimately produces the result that God desires. Only one out of four soils produces the results that God desires. And some of those results are 30. Some of those results are 60. Some of those results are 100. But there's only one out of four soils that ultimately produces the results that God desires. So our job is we're not going to know. Our job is just to sow as much seed as we possibly can. And that's why I want to challenge you as the people of Lakeside to live this out in your lives. To sow more seed. You're like, well, how do we do that? First, by telling your story. We make sharing our faith so complicated sometimes. And we... we, we create these scenarios where we're going to have to be in a debate and we have to have answers for every. And it's perfectly fine for you on some things just to say, I don't know. But here's where you start. Tell people the difference that God has made in your life. Tell people what Jesus has done in you. Start there. Follow that up with an invitation. Follow it up with an invitation for, for them to join you at church. And when you give somebody an invitation to church, keep inviting. Because there's a lot of soil that's not going to produce a result. So just keep inviting. You know the person who's struggling. Hey, will you join me at Lakeside this week? You know that person who's just experienced a job promotion. Hey, things are going great for you. Come celebrate with us. Hey, you know, I know what you're going through. Let me me be there for you. Hey, come check this out. And and a bunch of people are going to say no. But some people are going to say yes. And when they do, then you start praying for them. And you start praying that I don't say something stupid or that the band's not out of tune or anything like that. And, And here's the reality. Our goal and our desire isn't that you come to Lakeside anyway and have an encounter with me or have an encounter with the band. How disappointing is that? Like I'm serious. Our goal and our desire is to get out of the way. That you would have an encounter with God. So you start praying for the service. You start praying for the person that you invited. And, and our goal, and, and the goal that has been true at Lakeside and the goal that will be true at Lakeside, as long as I have the privilege of leading Lakeside, will be this. Our goal is not to steal people from other churches. We're on the same team. Our goal is to find people who do not have the hope of Jesus and introduce them into a saving relationship with Him. That is what drives us. That is what excites us. Now, don't get me wrong. If you've come out of a bad church experience, we're glad that you're here and we want to help you heal and we want to get you plugged in and serving and everything else. But our goal is not to steal people from other churches. Our goal is to meet people where they are and point them to Jesus. We have a great opportunity to do this in a couple weeks. So I'm encouraging you Be thinking through the people that you can invite with you to come check out Lakeside. In a couple weeks, we're we're doing Farewell to Summer on a Sunday night. We're going to talk about the hope of Jesus that night. Be thinking about the people that you can invite. And then when some of them say no, be thinking about who else to invite. Because you aren't responsible for the results. Your responsibility is just to be faithful. And sow the seed. And allow God to take it from there. It is his responsibility for the results. It is our responsibility to be faithful. So as people that follow Jesus, let's live up to our responsibility. And let's leave the rest up to God. And ask him to work and to move and to blow our minds with what he accomplishes. God, I pray that we would be people that would be faithful in what you've called us to do. That we would so see. And Lord, we recognize that the results are up to you. And as we do, God, we pray that we would present everything in the most understandable way possible. We pray that we would make it understandable to people who are far from you. We pray, God, that we would see people that produce the results of 160 and 30 times. But Lord, that our attention and our focus would be on what we can control. And that's our faithfulness in doing what you've called us to do. God, we ask that you would use this place, that you would use us for your glory and your purposes. That we would never get caught up in comparison culture. God, we would be excited and blown away that you would choose to use broken and flawed people to point others to the hope that's only available through a relationship with you. Jesus, please work in this place. Please change our hearts and change our lives. God, thank you for the people whose lives you have changed. Thank you for the impact you've enabled Lakeside to have. God, I thank you right now for every person who's entrusted back to you a portion of that which you've entrusted to them and enabled us to do the ministries to offer the things that we offer. God, take our efforts and multiply them for your glory, we ask Jesus.